Have you ever had a food question you just couldn't answer? We have them all the time. Our solution is to check out the world's best encyclopedia of food, our podcast cousin, The Splendid Table. You will hear stories and interviews from its delightful host, the mashup Francis Lamb, who you might discover has very strong feelings about kosher salt. Check out The Splendid Table wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Amy Choi. And I'm Rebecca Lair, and we are the Mashup Americans. So, B, can I tell you something that I learned recently? My mom, the immigrant Korean lady who's like the thriftiest person on earth, when I was little, she dressed me in swag from vendors that they sold in their store. Which included for like a nine-year-old girl, like Marlboro Man t-shirts. So I was going through old picture files and I came across these scanned pictures of my mom before she had kids and she was a babe. What? I know. And she's wearing like babelicious, skin-tight, huge bell bottoms, mm-hmm. tiny little crop tops, like things that fashion girls would wear. Ugh. I mean, she could tell a lot of stories. She could, but also, who are our parents? Right. Yes, there are these, like, self-sacrificing, never-buy-retail ever. And also, like, young, hip. I can't put those two things together. What's next? Are we going to have to concede that our parents had sex, too? Nope. Well, like, twice? I have one sibling. Well, we have a lot to learn, and there's no time like the present. So good to be together for this first episode of our new season, Reunited, and it feels so good. <laughs> Today is all about exploring the real lives of our immigrant parents and how they inspire us to stand up and speak up for our communities and push the boundaries and borders of what's possible. And you know, we have immigrant families, and we're so unbelievably proud of being the children of immigrants. And so many of you guys are, too. So let's stick to what we do best and talk to some amazing mashups about their real, actual lives. We have so many questions. We do, and today we are so lucky to have four amazing mashups on the show answering, uh, really, some very nosy questions of ours. (laughs) Um, First, we'll hear from Brenda Gonzalez, who came into this country with her family as an undocumented kid and became just this unbelievable storyteller and activist. And then we have Vanara Tang, a Soros fellow and a filmmaker, and her mom, Vani Pat, who came as refugees from Cambodia back in 1982. And last, but most certainly not least, Mr. Randall Park, an actor, writer, producer, possible theater nerd, and star of Fresh Off the Boat and so many things we love. We'll hear about the man who inspires Randall's character, Louis, his own immigrant dad, who might have studied abroad in Paris with my mom. I I don't know. Are you picturing Mr. Park and Mia like sharing baguettes yeah obviously aren't you (laughs) Uh, yeah duh (laughs) bam get us in your ears every week and don't miss a single episode subscribe at applepodcast.com slash mashup and check out the whole catalog of shows especially important as we think and talk about immigration today check out our conversation with Sarah Eagleheart an Ogallala Lakota activist about how not everyone is an immigrant applepodcast.com slash mashup. Back to the show. In times like these, when the whole world seems out to villainize and dehumanize immigrants and, like, 
every innocuous conversation feels like it could suddenly become a political debate about our value to the country, we just thought it would be useful to have some facts in your back pocket. Right. So truth. More than 40% of Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants and children of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Immigrants create 25% of all new businesses and related job growth, despite being only 13% of the American population. And this is just talking pure business. Without immigrants, would we have kimchi taco trucks? Would there be a Juno Diaz, a Google, and Hot Pockets? Oh, and Barbie. <laughs> so remember, immigrant family, we see you. You are valued. You create value. Your stories and your dreams matter, and not just to us, but to the entire American economy and culture, which you make better every day. So is is now when we get to talk to Brenda Gonzalez? Yes, it is. <laughs> Good. Brenda is the host of the delightful podcast Tamarindo and an organizer for Unidos U.S., which used to be called La Raza. And while Brenda is a citizen now, she was once a dreamer. And like any good Gen Xer, she was one before it was cool. So DACA was more than a decade away from existing when she was a college hopeful. And Brenda's story is a little unique. Her parents didn't immigrate for economic or political reasons. They had successful careers in Mexico, family, and delicious, delicious semitas in their home state of Puebla. But Brenda's brother was really sick. He had a degenerative disease, and he needed care and resources that he could only get in the States. So her parents secured work permits, but they weren't able to get the documents for Brenda or her brother. In other words, her parents faced the kind of terrible decision that isn't really a decision. How old were you when you came from Puebla to Koreatown? I was four years old. And when I talk about our experience immigrating, I have to share that my, my brother, who was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy mm. and, and died when he was 17, that was the reason we immigrated to the United States, is to give my brother a high-quality life of, of living in a country where there's ramps in every corner, where mm. he, had, he had access to a wheelchair and had the best possible life that a child could have mm. in, with muscular dystrophy. That's very powerful. You're a mother. I'm not a mother, but obviously I witnessed my mother's heartbreak when her son died, and the tremendous sacrifice that they embarked on to give their child the best, the best quality life. Now I'm going to cry too. <laughs> Sorry, and, I'm and, crying, and guys. It is emotional obviously. because I'm sure you're probably imagining, gosh, as a mother, I would 100% do what those parents did. And, and it's powerful for me thinking, wow, what would my parents be thinking right now right. if my brother was undocumented and relying so much on the wonderful experiences that somebody with disabilities can have in the United States. This is mm -hmm. a wonderful country. There's there's so much that we can do because of the, the civil rights of folks with disabilities. Yeah. Your mom was an accountant in Mexico, and your dad trained as a doctor and practicing. What did they do for work when they arrived here? My mom worked graveyard at a senior home, mm -hmm. which was the worst experience of her life. My dad worked at a gasoline station. My dad did look into what it would take to practice medicine here, and it's, you'd have to basically do it over, mm -hmm. like go to med school again, and so that wasn't practical for us. But eventually, they found a path in working with children and adults with disabilities. That very, personal very personal and meaningful. Yeah, very personal and meaningful. And also uh, applies all their skills, Applies I would all their skills. And um, obviously, a lot of their portfolio is Spanish speakers. So yeah. Yes, There's all, I mean, all of Well, also, I would think as an accountant, she's good at uh, 
crossing her T's and dotting oh, her yes. I's. Which, My mom. Which, yeah. When you're going <laughs> yes. into these kinds of systems, as you were saying, you know, this documentation and everything that your family's going through and mm-hmm. wh- what have you, she's probably, I would imagine, excellent she's at that. She's excellent. My mom is <laughs> very organized. Yes. I love your mom. Your mom. I know. What's like her name? Hero. Her name is Victoria. Oh, Victoria. Oh, Victoria. We're not going to call her Vicky because that's. They call her Toyis. Oh, Toyis? <laughs> Toyis. Oh, oh, that's the best. Toyis. Love you. <laughs> what was the story being? told in your family? Like, did your parents talk to you about it? My parents did an excellent job of of guarding me as a child. I didn't know that my brother's disease was terminal. I didn't know that we were undocumented. Mm -hmm. Um, All I knew is we got to go to Disney World. My parents made every single weekend about exploring California. We went to Solvang. We went to San Francisco. It was always a great childhood. So Mm -hmm. I didn't experience or realize that I was undocumented until it came time for applying for college. Mm. And, oh, wow. and realizing as a junior, as my friends were applying to amazing schools, that my parents had to sit me down and say, well, it's going to be a little difficult for you. <laughs> it was during a time where Dreamers was not a household name. Mm-hmm. DACA was not a household name. Was this like a secret that you had to hold on to? At first, yes, it was something that was kept to myself because I didn't think anybody else was like me. Teachers were not aware of this issue. They didn't have the right language and coaching and guidance. So it was a very isolating experience. And ultimately what I did is I applied to Cal State Fullerton in pencil because that's how much in protest I didn't want to go to like the local state school. When I got in and the first semester we paid as, as a non-resident, so it was very mm. expensive. Thank God that there was a, a bill called um, AB 540 From in California, California. Uh-huh. Yeah, which basically allowed students that were in this situation to pay as residents. Even though that existed, when you asked at the mm-hmm. university, like, hey, I think I'm, I qualify for this. Oh, okay, well, fill out this form. <laughs> and it was very secretive. What is it like for you? You were undocumented. You had this kind of like coming out. Then you became a resident and now you're a citizen. Like, what does it feel like now to have been on like both sides of things? Um, I have long admired the Dreamers because they've made this a household name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a little older than that group. So I was not as brave as them. Like I didn't I didn't stand up the way they did. So I, I admire them. And what I'm doing now is I'm finding spaces and opportunities to share my experience because because I can, because it, it doesn't come with the same risks as what mm-hmm. as others that are still doing it, which is amazing. I think we just have to humanize. We're not other. We are people that are your neighbors, that are just part of your community. Well, in Los Angeles, it's one in 10 people when you're walking down the street. Right, right. So the reality is it's it's everybody. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I just went to the Cafe Tacuba concert at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah. How was it? Amazing. But it's huge, right? The bowl is huge. And uh, La Santa Cecilia, Loco LA band opened, and they did a song where they asked, how many of you are DACA? And there was, everywhere you looked, there was people standing up and yeah. everybody cried. It was amazing. So, I mean, yeah, that's it was a, that was a perfect example. Like, you feel safer and more secure now with your documentation. What does it feel like to have so many of your people not have that? On election night, it almost felt like somebody had died. Like, it was that traumatic and, and painful and hurtful. And the pain for me was rooted in thinking about all those folks that are undocumented or those that were protected under DACA. I really had them um, in my mind and heart on election night, and that's what made it so, so sad. But I'm also hopeful. I'm hopeful because they're fearless, because they're, they continue to thrive, <laughs> shine, that hopefully there will be a positive outcome and there will hopefully be a path to citizenship. When it comes to, you know, the undocumented experience, how might it be different for people today than, say, what it was for you even, you know, 
20 years ago. We're countering a much louder narrative. Somebody has won elected office basically on a platform that we hate Mexicans, you know. <laughs> so, like, this is the time to be championing and telling the stories of the diversity within our within our country. The other thing that I want to call out is that I think we're looking for, like, the best model immigrant, right? right. We're looking for the person that got to Harvard or the valedictorian of their high school. But you know what? Some of us are just happy, regular people. We're, we're just as diverse as the American experience. Right, and, exactly. And we shouldn't have to capture our worth, how much we contribute to the economy or, or how much education we have. Which is a lot, we, by the way. It is true that it's <laughs> a lot, but we have to support these folks because they're people and they're American and they've contributed in every other way and, and not just because they're model people. I love what Brenda said, that we don't have to be good immigrants to be worthy immigrants or to be Americans. I mean, as a kid who grew up really struggling with the model minority label, it just, it, it fucking sucks, you know? And like, you can just be you doing your best to be here. So one of the reasons we wanted to start the Match of Americans is because we wanted to create a space in media where no one is ever asked to be a good immigrant or a model minority, though we are calling dims for that name on our bar, Model Minority. Anyway, (laughs) and as first-generation folks, people of color, bosses, religious minorities, we feel so much pressure to always be the best and the brightest. And, you know, we often are, but Mashup is a place where we can also just be our full selves. And that can feel so good. Like, it's like stretching your legs after a long flight cramped up in the middle seat. But it can also make you feel really vulnerable. And we're so grateful to our Mashup fam guests and and you guys, all of our listeners, for just going there with us. You make us really proud. Thank you. So proud. And no exception is our next two guests, Vonner Tang and her mom, Vanny Pat. Vonner is a Soros fellow, a filmmaker and editor, and all-around super mashup. She's also a 1.5-er. She came to the States when she was two years old from a Cambodian refugee camp. Vanny was pregnant with Vonner's sister, Valerie, at the time. They were fleeing the Khmer Rouge and the brutal war in Cambodia. Vanara says she actually never asked much about those first years in the States. Isn't that interesting? Because she was there for it. And, like, that's what we think. But now I'm a parent. Fina's just, like, a little older than Vanara was when she came. And it's so obvious that what we think we remember from our childhoods about our parents probably has nothing to do with what our parents were actually thinking and experiencing. To my kids, I'm, I'm just the lady who delivers the hugs and will basically do everything for you. Vonera, who lives in L.A., called her mom in Seattle to ask about those first years in the States. So we have a sponsor, mm-hmm. and they took us to church every Sunday. Was that weird? At first, kind of weird. And then I kind of liked it because I got to talk to people. They teach me how to speak English. But we're Buddhists. I don't know how to tell them because you have to respect them when they bring you here, you know, so I had to follow them. Do you remember what it felt like, like, when you first, like, went out shopping? It's all American people, except a family, Asian. Mm -hmm. And then mommy wear clothes different, too. I would wear sarong, Mm -hmm. and then I would go to shop with you. And you try to have mommy carry all the grocery. So American people on the road was like, oh, my God, you're so cute. <laughs> try to have your mom. So my 
You were in your like early 20s, right? When you came? 21. But I feel like I'm not 21, you know. I always feel like a mom since I was 15. Did you like want to dress like the Americans? Because, you know, it's like the early 80s. Mommy would go to the food bank, pick up some clothes, you know, free. It's all clothes, but it's still good. But every time I go to school, people think I was like stylist. Oh my God, I think you go shopping all the time. I said, no, food bank. <laughs> <laughs> In Cambodia, they look down to you, you know. But mommy don't care because I'm the honor person. I just tell the truth. <laughs> Do you remember like a favorite outfit you found that was exciting? The bill bottom jean, <laughs> kind of tight, but it looked so cute on my, so I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> when I was 15, I wear the bill bottom. One time my brother almost killed me because he think they're too sexy or something. He <laughs> don't want me to wear it, and now I can wear it. <laughs> And did you like try like the 80s hairstyles? I go perm my hair one time, I cut my hair short, so my hair look big, you know? Yeah, I remember those so pictures, Mom. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that hairstyle. Who did the perm mm-hmm. for you? Did you go to like a salon or? No, uh, mommy really cheap, so I got the Cambodian. She come to her house, I caught 10 bucks with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it was me or Valerie. We said, like, don't speak my... I think Valerie was like three, and then you five, I think. Mommy go to a welfare office. Valerie started to speak my to you, and then um, you cover her mouth. You said, Valerie, don't speak my. Uh, <laughs> you said, you're too shy. I don't want them to hear it. Like I was scared to be different? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you say? Mommy said, no. It's okay that Valerie speak Khmer because we Cambodian. Oh no, now I'm embarrassed. I don't remember it, but I I do remember growing up feeling like having to uh, prove that I was American. So I can see me doing that. So Matt, what are you proudest about yourself? I come here like I don't hardly speak English. And then when you was like in third grade, I think, Mm-hmm. And mommy don't know, you know, how to get a job. So I tell you that you need to write mommy a note and mommy will study. What were the things I told you to say? You teach mommy how to talk to people. Like mommy said that I'm a hard worker, you know, but they hire me right away because of your note that I study. And, you know, when I go to work like a couple of days, I will cry so hard because people will call me dumb or stupid like that. I almost quit, but I think that you live in Khmer over four years and then come here, people talk to you like that. No, it's nothing because it's not, it's not me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really hard to come to America. It's different hard. Like in Cambodia, people will kill you, starve you to death. But in America, you have to fight for your life too, you know, because you don't speak, you don't have education. Everywhere you go to work, people are going to look down at you. But you have to be strong. Until now, it's still hard, you know. You know, I don't want to change me, you know. I just want to be me. So if people doesn't see who I am, it's their law. It is their loss, man. Yeah, I'm really proud that I, you know, I come here and then all you guys, 
you have a good education. That's the number one thing that I wanted. Yeah. Well, Mommy, we learned from you to be strong people. That's the only way we are where we are, is because of you. Oh, God, when Vonner said that she felt like she had to prove she was an American, that was almost too much for me. I know. It's so much. And it's like, I mean, I felt this in my life, this narrative of what American is. My family and I were together all the time eating pupusas and having Shabbat dinner with like a loud, huge clan of people. And that's just what I thought was normal. But then on the same time in popular culture, there was this narrative of Americanness, which had nothing to do with my experience as a mashup in Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, what's so amazing is that your parents were there and able to create that for you. The way that Vanny Pat, who I have completely fallen in love with, I mean, she raised three kids and her own baby brother, put them all through school, and she was so thrifty that she wouldn't lay out for a perm. She had to do it herself. I obviously had perms in my kitchen growing up. Obviously. And also, she was a lady who knew how to find all the cute clothes and rock pair bell bottoms that made her feel fine. Well, speaking of looking fine, I think we should get to Randall Park. Um, can you guys tell how excited Rebecca is to talk to Randall? I know. <laughs> he is so great. We we fell in love with him and his wife, Jay, and his daughter, Ruby, and their entire story. So you probably know him from Fresh Off the Boat and Veep. We started by asking Randall the usual question. How do you mash up? I'm a Korean guy with Korean immigrant parents. Uh, I have a Korean wife and a <laughs> Korean kid, and that's how I mash up. No, uh, uh, all of those Koreans are different, right? Yes. Totally. Oh, totally. Your totally. Parents are immigrants. You were born here. Your wife is kind of this like one point five ish. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Um, so what's your comfort food? There's a restaurant in East LA, El Tepeyac, and uh, they have this burrito called the Hollenbeck burrito, and it's this gigantic, overstuffed, sopping wet. Just filled with everything. Delicious. Everything it's delicious. It's so good. How did the Park family end up at El Tapayac? My dad, when I was a kid growing up, he worked for this stuffed toys company. Hmm. And the building was out near there. Hmm. So, you know, on his lunch break, his coworkers would be like, we got to go here. And he just fell in love with it. And uh, he'd take the whole family there. And we grew up going there, like, at least once a month. I love knowing that your parents spent money on burritos because, yeah. <laughs> well. um, what is always in your fridge? Kimchi is always in my homemade. Who's I, making I, it? I make it. You know, I, I kind of learned how to do it about four years ago. Who and, taught it to you? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> a Jewish guy taught it to Obviously. me. Obviously. <laughs> but, it, you know, it, it's ironic that Evan Goldberg taught me how to make kimchi <laughs> because it's this thing that I've gotten so into and I feel like it kind of brings me closer to my roots, like yeah. making this, you know. How does Mama Park feel about your kimchi? Loves it. And my wife loves it. They all love it. So they feel good about Goldberg's kimchi. Oh, they well, it's my kimchi now because I've been like perfecting it, and it's made with Korean hands. Obviously, so it you know. So does your daughter like kimchi? And when did you introduce her to it? Uh, she is. She does not like kimchi. Not oh even Evan God. Goldberg Randall Park collaboration kimchi. No, oh. no, she does not like it, and that's uh, very disappointing to me. <laughs> but she will. 
She will. It'll kick in. It's in her. It's in her. You know. She doesn't really have a choice. Yeah, it, it'll happen. So yeah. I'm not worried. I'm not worried. <laughs> okay, good. So what dating advice did you get uh, from your immigrant parents? I, I didn't get I didn't get any. Sounds <laughs> right. My, my parents <laughs> never. T- I mean, the closest thing that my parents talked to me about was you got to marry a Korean girl. <laughs> that was that, that was it. And I never, ever, ever thought I would ever marry a Korean girl until I did. There's so many things there already. That? There's just like everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything needs to be unpacked here. Yeah, yeah. Well, so why did you think you were never going to marry a Korean woman? Well, I mean, as a kid growing up, I just didn't find myself attracted to Asian women. Mm. I, obviously, looking back, it's like, I, I you know, I, the racism all around me got in me, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Then I went to UCLA and for the first time in my life found myself surrounded by Asian people and it felt really good. Yeah. You, know? you found and your people. I found my people. Yeah. You know? And all of those, that kind of internal stuff that I was dealing with, you know, I, I was working out. Yeah. You know, and I'm always working out. You know, my parents are getting older. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at this phase in my life where I just want to kind of grab onto everything, you know, mm-hmm. hear all the stories. And the other day we were at dinner and I was just asking them so many questions and my mom got so mad at me. She was like, why are you asking so many questions? And I'm like, I just want to know, yeah. you know. What were some of the questions that you're yearning I, to know? I, right well, now? I was asking them about like their experience coming to the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, for some reason I thought that they had come here together, but it turned out that my dad had lived in San Francisco for years, moved to France, lived there for like a, a year. Obviously. Yeah. Went to Korea, met my mom, came back to America without my mom, and then my mom came a few years later. And I wow. didn't know any of that, you know. Damn storytelling. <laughs> you know, like yeah. somehow you meshed it all together to, to get one story, and yes. now you're getting... The real story? The real story, yeah. 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 And I just want more and more now. Yeah. You know, you know, my parents were never an open book with that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I'm coming to a realization I have to pull this stuff out of them, you know. And and I notice that once I do kind of tug a little bit, the floodgates open. So I'm in in a period where I'm asking them a lot. Do you look back at your childhood or your kind of what your vision of them had been and is that transforming? Yes, for sure. For sure. I mean I I mean, I've always respected my parents, but I have a lot more respect for them. And I see them, you know, it's like as we get older, it's just like they become more and more multidimensional, mm-hmm. like fully fully formed human beings in our eyes. Whereas, you know, growing up, I saw them in, in very simple terms. You right. Know? Totally. Yeah. They're your parents. They're parents. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. They like didn't really exist before you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They never had sex ever. Definitely. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, disappeared yeah. out of the ether. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know, you're playing an immigrant dad on TV, Lewis. Yeah. And does your experience of your father come into that role? Totally. Totally. I, I, I mean, my dad is a lot like Lewis on the show. <laughs> you know, Lewis on the show is a small business owner. He runs the steakhouse. Yes. My dad, for many years, owned and operated a, a little one-hour photo store in Santa Monica. Mm. And whenever I'd, I'd visit him on the weekends, because he'd work almost every day, of course. You know, I'd see how he'd interact with uh, his customers and kind of the neighboring businesses and just see how much they loved him. You yeah. know, everyone loved my dad. He was mm. just so, like, funny 
funny and and charming and you know at home he was always a little more quiet and uh but when he was out there working he was just this you know this magnetic person you got your acting chops from him <laughs> i did yeah. i did I, I really think i did and, and and uh and that's very similar to lewis he's just this kind of man of the people you know yeah totally growing up again i never saw my dad like that i always thought he was this stern strict you know korean man and as i got older i realized gosh this guy is fun yeah <laughs> yeah yeah is your dad and i think i brought a lot of that into the character yeah is your dad still working yeah. now or is he retired he will never retire. Right. Yeah, my dad will always work. He's actually working at a, a souvenir shop on Hollywood Boulevard. Does yeah. he tell people that his son is a movie star? Yes, he does. <laughs> all the time. Yes. But I didn't find out from him. I found out from, like, other people who work near him or with him. Really? Like, yeah, like, if I bump into one of them, they'd tell me, like, oh, my God, your dad is so proud of you. Oh, he won't uh, stop talking about mm. you. It's annoying. Like, he's always showing us videos of you on his phone. And none of this I knew, you know. Yeah, but, of course. Uh, Must feel a little bit good. It, it does. Yeah. It does feel good. And I think it's something that I kind of throughout my life, subconsciously, I, uh, you know, always kind of wanted, you know. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. it drove me, you know, maybe to where I am now. You know? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, but it, it, it feels nice. Have you ever called him on it? I saw, you know, Johnny from the souvenir shop next door, and he mentioned. <laughs> we have this, like, silent pact. We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> you are so Korean. But... <laughs> yeah, a lot of silent like, deep understandings that are just being transferred through the air and in long yes, yes. looks at each other. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, so um, when you think about Ruby... And yeah. kind of the journey that your family and your wife's family have made to be here. And now she, yeah. here she is, born in L.A. She has these incredible artist parents. Like, what of your immigration story and your family's immigration story do you hope for for her? Like, do you think she'll get it? Yeah, I think it's part of the reason why I, want, I am trying to learn so much about my family right now. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of her. You know, I want her to know these stories, mm -hmm. you know, because she's not going to be pulling these stories out of them. Or maybe she will later. But uh, but I want to get them out for her so that she knows her history. And yeah, so that's important to us. And also, as she does, you also are equipped to like fill in the blanks yes. where your parents. Yes, for you know, sure. For I think sure. Like to your point, you're like, I thought you guys did this, and now you know. Yes. Now we have to dive into the year in France. Totally. There may be a movie Which was an about odd this. year. Yeah, I'm, like, so, I'm trying to learn more about that year. What was going <laughs> on? Like, yeah, Mr. French? Park takes Paris. <laughs> My dad does speak French. He does speak French. He, he, your dad you know, is full when he, of surprises. This is how I understand it so far, and I'm pulling out more, so it may I may get more. But he worked as a busboy in a French restaurant in 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 Sausalito, and the owner of the restaurant loved my dad so much that he helped my dad go to school in Paris. Oh my god! I like want to see the the like flashback, you know, the black and white, the like him wearing his little beret. Yes, I'm the, sure uh, my dad did that stuff. Oh, he yeah. seems like a real hand. There's photos of him. I mean, he was stylish. Yeah. He was big into fashion. You would never know that now, but I see these old photos of him him against the car just like looking <laughs> sharp. But yeah, he was the man. He was the man. He still is. Um, so we have a few questions about work. You know, Fresh at the Boat started in 2015. Yeah. How does it feel different making it in a Trump era versus yeah. Obama? The day 
Trump got elected or the night we found out he was going to be our next right. president, we were actually in production. We were shooting an episode about uh, Jessica, my character's yeah. wife, Constance, uh, Constance Wu's. Wu's character, uh, uh, getting sworn in to be naturalized as, as a citizen. Mm. And we were shooting that scene. I just want everyone to know I have goosebumps. Yes, and yeah. we were shooting that scene mm. in a room in, in one of the buildings at Fox. Mm-hmm. And, and right next to that room was the lobby of that building, and there were television screens all along the wall. So in between these shots, we'd, we'd all run out and watch these 10 screens. With the polls coming in. Yes, right. as they were coming in. And it was just getting, you know, clearer and clearer what was going on. And then we had, we'd have to rush back to the room next door to shoot this really emotional, celebratory, you know, the whole family's there, we're crying, and we're, we're just so happy that she's becoming a citizen as she's being sworn in and pledging her, you know, allegiance to this country. And mm. it was so surreal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and by the end of that night, we were just so spent. And um, it's been a nightmare ever since. <laughs> and then it's been a nightmare ever since. Well, I think that is very much our... our it makes sense because I think the tone of your show is very yeah. much aligned, but it's very yeah. much aligned with us, right? Yeah. We're optimistic people, yeah. but that doesn't mean not addressing challenges, yes, right? It yes, simply yes. means that we believe by addressing challenging issues, we're going to get somewhere better. Yes, yes. But it's been a very challenging period to remain um, optimistic and, and hopeful yeah. and and produce the work that we all produce, which yeah. is important to our communities to keep seeing. Well, totally. I mean, yeah, going back to your question, I feel like now more than ever, to really show at, in our art and in, in our stories these kind of very human portrayals of us, mm-hmm. of immigrants, of Muslims, you know, of women, of you know, just to, to to be able to tell these stories in a in a very human way, I think it's essential now. You know, it's more than ever essential, and it also feels triumphant. It feels yeah. incredible to know that fresh off of the boat is going to be back on the air. You know, yeah. like because there's so much of the world and politics and social dynamics now that seem like it's pushing it towards a way that that's impossible, except it is possible mm-hmm. and you're doing it, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, it's an incredible honor to be on the, you know, part of this show. But, uh, you know, yeah, the hope is that, especially in these times, there's more shows like it. When it premiered, we were just like so deeply moved to see this Asian family on TV. And, like, it wasn't being a mirror to some sort of white experience. Yes. And that was so profound, even though it wasn't, like, my kind of Asian. Sure. For me as a Korean person, it didn't matter that the family was Chinese. It still felt like it was totally my story. And I think that that's something, too, that, like, you're the only non-Chinese actor that's a lead, right? right? Uh, You mean on that show? or in, in? Yeah, that's right. How does that feel to be, like, a Korean-American man playing a Chinese-American character? Well, at first, it was really uh, actually problematic for me. I felt really at odds with it, uh, mm. especially that first season. When we found out the show got picked up, I realized that, oh, my gosh, this is really important. You know, people really care about this. Mm. It, it has to be done right, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought, well, I don't know if I'm a part of that right, you know, mm. being on this show. 
I remember literally meeting up with Eddie Huang at the time and telling him, like, God, I don't know if I could do this. I really don't know if I can do this. And and he really was so loving and encouraging to me. And he was like, you got to do it. You wow. got to do it. There's a reason why you're here and in this position. And, uh, you know, to hear that from him, mm-hmm. knowing that I'm playing a TV version of his father, you mm-hmm. know, was really heartening for me and and it kind of pushed me forward and 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 you know in my head at that point I was like well I'm in this position you know I'm not a white guy at least you know <laughs> playing the dad of this family like, uh, with your special makeup uh, situation <laughs> so uh so you know just kind of bring as much humanity to this character as possible and 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 take it seriously mm-hmm. you know and that's what I've been doing Ali Wong, who's a very funny, hilarious Asian woman. Yes, you guys have written a, a movie together, right? Or yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Happening. We have, and it seems like it. The, the train is moving. It's so exciting, yeah, and it's yeah. a lot. It's like romantic. It's a rom com. Oh my god! <laughs> funny Asian rom com. <laughs> this is our dream come true. It's my dream come true. That's <laughs> yeah. all I've ever wanted to do. Is be. I mean, I love rom coms. I wanted to like be in a rom-com yeah and it wasn't happening yeah so we had to sit down and be like let's create a rom-com yes yeah yeah. but you know i'm just saying this is what they're afraid of asian people doing basically what the white people do and supporting supporting each other and having a network and making it happen yeah yeah. Uh, randall do you have any advice for our listeners who maybe haven't yet wound their way to figuring out who they want to be yet that are still feeling confused and also in this climate just feeling under a lot of pressure and duress. Are you yeah. crying? I could be. Should I start? I'm yeah. about to cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, as a crybaby, I just want to make sure. Are we in a crying place? Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm a crybaby too. It's a safe cry Ever place. Ever since we had our daughter, I, I cry. Oh, all yeah, your heart just breaks wide yeah. open. Oh, my God, all yeah. the time. Gosh, I mean, my... My approach to my career and my life in general is just, it's very Marie Kondo, you know, (laughs) just like whatever sparks joy, like hold on to that, you know. Mm. For me, I realized how much acting sparked my joy at one point. And despite the, you know, the climate as far as like what was available for Asian American actors at the time, despite, you know, my parents not wanting me to pursue a path like that. I mean, there were so many obstacles. It still sparked so much joy, you know. That's so. the real American in you, too. I feel like <laughs> being like, I'm still going to do it, guys. Yeah. I have my own path. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um pursuing acting it's a struggle it's a struggle it's 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 difficult and there were many lows but that joy kept coming back and so I went through that so in any in any sense whether it be pursuing a career or standing up for yourself or standing up for your community you know it gets difficult but if you love your community you're gonna do it you know if you love the burritos at El Tepeyac you're gonna go there every now and then yeah yeah and you're gonna fight for them yeah exactly. for us. we love you Randall make sure to check out the new season of Fresh Off the Boat which is airing now and for a special treat head to mashupamericans.com to get Randall's famous kimchi recipe. Next week, we're talking about something near and dear to our hearts, which is mental health and how we carry our family's stories with us, the good and the bad. It pops up in surprising ways, you know? Don't miss it. Make sure to subscribe at applepodcast.com slash mashup. The Mashup Americans are me, Rebecca Lair. And me, Amy Choi. Our producer is the great Lizzie Jacobs. 
Shout outs, music this week by DJ Rob Swift and A Lot Moment. Big thanks to Phil Yu, the angry Asian man, for introducing us to Randall. Our show is produced by American Public Media and Southern California Public Radio KPCC. Ciao! Bye! <laughs>